Welcome to Footloose, the podcast where we chat with people living unconventional and nomadic lifestyles. I'm your host, Tim Bull, and I hope you'll join me as we hear stories from travellers from around the world. Sometime late last year, I read an article online about us website called Couches, and Karina and I spoke about it and we said, wouldn't it be fun to create a listing that's effectively for Matilda? We would put it up as an apartment on Couches, and people that read the listing would understand it was actually for the boat and they could contact us and come and stay with us. And that proved to be uh, successful. One of the things that I didn't expect to happen when I did that was that I would be contacted by um, one of the founders of the site, Apelli, who we're talking to this week. And he basically said, look, this whole running a website is a new experience for me and and clearly from your profile you have some experience in <laughs> uh, you know engineering and product management uh, would it be okay if we spent some time talking and we've been doing that now for several months and it's been my pleasure to get to know Apelli and I'm really excited to be talking with him this week Apelli thanks for joining us thanks uh, thanks for having me on the podcast um, yeah, so I'm a Pali. I was um, I Finnish Australian. I was born in, in in Finland, and then I lived in Australia for a decade. Uh, did university there, um, and then I now live in New York. So I'm here doing a PhD in applied mathematics and operations research. How did you end up uh, so moving my... from? Sorry, I was gonna, how did you end up moving from Finland to Australia? What took you there? Um, actually, I did a quick detour in Sweden. But basically, my parents, I was, I was young, uh, so my parents just decided to move for work, and I went along with them. Um, it was actually a bit rough for me, so I, when I moved to Sweden, I used to play button accordion. When I say accordion, people often imagine a kind of keyboard accordion, but it, it was a button accordion. Um, and I... Um, I was really in love with it. I was I was an accordion boy. I was you know around ten and I was playing every day for hours and I was insane. Um, and then when I moved to Australia, I mean I didn't really understand the implications of it, but I ended up not finding an accordion teacher, and I was devastated. Um, so you know I mean on on one hand I was a bit you know I was quite down for a for a while maybe almost a year when I moved to Australia and I was like twelve. Uh, but on the other hand, I also do feel like a life as a professional accordion player uh, would not be as fun as my life now <laughs> in what I've been doing. So in that, uh, in that respect, I'm happy about the move. The, the, uh, now, I, I guess when I think of Finland, I don't think of accordion players. Is this just you specifically or are accordions a big thing in Finland? Well, they are quite big. Uh, I don't know why actually. So they're they're big in in certain places in Europe. I think you know Italy. It was actually in Sweden. I had so Sweden and Finland have a lot of history, and so I had a a Swedish Finnish accordion teacher who was teaching me. There's actually three different layouts of accordion, button accordions, and I was playing the Finnish layout in Sweden. Um, so yeah, I, in a in a past life, I used to be an accordion player. Uh, I never got extremely good, but I was on a good trajectory that then got startled by, you know, the move. And uh, do, do you ever pick up a bit rough for young Apelli? Tinkle the old keys these days, or is that's long gone? <laughs> I do try sometimes, but I'm I've, I've forgotten most of it. 
these days I actually I started playing saxophone. So I've been playing saxophone in a number of different bands, and I and I really enjoy playing jazz. Uh, but now the car, past couple of months I haven't been playing since I moved and there's COVID and things have been a bit tricky. Right. But I would like to pick it up again and find myself a nice little jazz band get back into it a bit of jazz accordion there i love it um that's quite a transition then from you know aspiring accordion player into uh you know what is it theoretical mathematics that you're studying now <laughs> yeah so i did i did pure mathematics in my undergraduate and i did probability and applied math in my masters and now i'm doing operations research which is like i like to call it applied applied math you know, pure mathematicians do math for the for the sake of doing math, and then applied mathematicians still do math for the sake of doing math, but they find examples to apply it to. And an operations research does actually solve problems and then finds the right math to solve those problems. That's how I like to think about it. Okay, and this is so your, very applied, very useful. And this is your PhD yeah. that you're studying now. So you did your undergraduate yeah. and your masters in Australia. Yeah, and you yeah. moved to New York recently for your PhD. Yeah, so I'm now at Columbia University doing the PhD. Okay, and then when did you start sort of traveling? So I imagine you you went back and forward to Sweden as you sorry to Finland as you were growing up with your parents, or did you sort of set off on your own? Yeah. So I I, I used to travel with my family a little bit. We didn't do too much traveling. I think around 2007 we did a big road trip in Europe, just before we left Australia. <clears throat> so we took a I have a large family there, uh, I have four siblings. And so we had this big minivan, took the minivan and drove around. I don't remember too much of it, honestly, but you know, we were driving around, we went to Italy, went to Rome, went to quite a few different places. Um, and then, you know, so I did a fair bit of traveling with my family and then we used to, once we got to Australia, we'd do a lot of road trips. Um, and then always, so my dad's work used to, it was a Finnish organization that so they would sponsor a, uh, a trip to Finland every second year for the family. And so we'd always drop by somewhere in Southeast Asia or something um, and, you know, do like a couple of days stopover and, and, and sightsee things. Uh, but then the, um, I personally started traveling um, when did I start traveling? I think the first big kind of personal travel experience is when I went to on exchange. So I did an exchange to UC Berkeley uh, towards the end of my undergraduate degree. And then I, you know, I, I went there and then I traveled a little bit after and I was also kind of seeing things around in California. Um, and then as soon as I kind of graduated and then I started my master's, I, I had some stuff come up in life and then I decided to take a leave of absence for half a year. And I ended up doing a big kind of round the world trip. So I mean, from Australia, round the, round the world doesn't really mean much because there's kind of two ways to go east or west. And so you fly to the US and then you want to go to Europe and then you come back straight. And then that's basically around the world trip. Mm -hmm. I always have family, so I've always been going around to Europe. Uh, so I, I went around, you know, I went to the States, I went to Iceland, went around Europe, I visited Ukraine. Um, and then I came back, I, I stopped by in, in the United Arab Emirates. And that was kind of my first, first kind of 
personal solo travel. I stayed in a lot of hostels, met a lot of people, and had kind of like, you know, just a lot of lot of traditional travel fun, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. seeing things and 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 you know when when you travel with family, there's a kind of different, you know, your maybe your parents decide or there's you, you know you're less involved in deciding what you're doing. You're kind of just seeing things and consuming, but then when you go travel alone, you're kind of you know creating a plan and you're kind of investigating and really getting a lot deeper into it so so i really loved that um and then you know after that i kind of got a bit of the travel bug so i've always been when i get a chance i've been traveling so when i finished my masters i got a bit um you know i was finding australia a little bit frustrating mm-hmm. and uh, i wanted to get out of there and so what i did i packed i packed my bags and i decided all right I'm going to go somewhere. And so I took the train across Siberia uh, from Vladivostok all the way to, to St. Petersburg. Um, and then I traveled around Europe. I Then I flew to the unit US. So I went to the USA and I bought a van there. I drove around for five, six months. And then I kind of like, you know, messed around for a year and a half traveling. Uh, and, and that's kind of when I really started doing couch surf and got into that kind of community mm-hmm. it, uh, i did not know that about you with the train i don't know if i've ever told you but uh, karina and i traveled um through from beijing up on the trans-mongolian we took the train up to Irkutsk oh, yeah. and then uh, so through mongolia up yeah, to Irkutsk yeah. and then the train from Irkutsk right across to uh, st petersburg as well so yeah um, i i so what we did is we we stopped in Irkutsk, and then we took a train to Mo- sorry, not a train. We took a bus to Mongolia, oh. and that was an insane trip. That was it was an eighteen-hour bus uh, bus ride, and um, you know the first three hours I was really confused because we we were in this in in this tour bus and you know going really fast. The road is wide open. We're overtaking passenger cars and just mm-hmm. racing through um, on the Russian side, and we're almost to the you know we're, we're halfway. It's taken three hours, and I'm wondering why is this an eighteen-hour bus bus drive? And then we get to the border, <laughs> and I kind of see why. Is the the whole road is just it's? I don't know. I, I think it was really unmaintained, and so they what they would do is they would have these like little dirt strips that would kind of cut through shortcuts, uh, and then you know it was the middle of the night. And I tried to get some sleep, and so I woke up, and there was this huge thunderstorm. And uh, you know, the, we're we're in this huge bus. It's not made for off-roading, but still, the drivers are trying to off-road in it. Uh, and you know, every now and then they would stop for a bit, and then go chain smoke for 15 minutes, trying to figure out how we're going to continue from this, and how we're going to get through this little obstacle course here. And so it was it was quite an experience. Wow. Uh, coming back, we took the train then, which was, I think, a good idea. The, the train, uh, but... <laughs> interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's fascinating to hear because the train journey we took from Mongolia into Russia was also a big adventure. Um, what happened with us was that uh, I'm not quite sure what happened. Well, basically what happened is that only some of the carriages went to Russia. We didn't know that. Obviously, we were, oh, yeah. we were booked into the carriage that went to Russia. We just didn't understand this is what was happening. Yeah. Um, and it's all overnight trains and we're sleeping on the train. And we woke up in the morning, you know, and you, you get used to hearing clanking and clattering and stopping at train stations and all of this sort of stuff. Anyway, we wake up in the morning and literally 
there's just this this train station off in the distance, sort of like I don't know, like fifty fifty meters away or something like that. Um, we're on this track that's kind of off to itself in the middle of nowhere. Um, there's a small town behind the train <laughs> station, and we are literally the only carriage. We're we're in a carriage, and that's it. There's no one there. There's no train. There's nothing else. And we're like what on earth has just happened? And, of course, it turns out that they sort of run a Mongolian train up there, drop the carriage off, that goes away, yeah. and then later, you know... But the problem was we had no idea. We we didn't know how long until the Russian train came to pick up the carriage. We didn't know if it was five minutes or, or, or five hours. And so we were doing these kind of very... Um, uh, what's the word? Not tenuous, very um, timid, very sort of timid sort of circuits from the, the carriage where we'd sort of wander into the town and then race back to the carriage and make sure that there was no train coming. And then, you know, then we'd get a little bit more confident and we'd go a little bit further and then race back. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting to hear that, that that journey still has its challenges. Yeah, we had, a, we had something similar happen at the border. I don't know why, but we stopped at the border for like three hours um, and they were like, I think some people on the on the train had some immigration issues, and there was a train being reassembled, and it was. And the annoying thing is what what I and my travel companions had done is it was you know it was a long train ride, um, and we we're a bit tired, so we we thought in our infinite wisdom let's buy some some drinks, some vodka, and drinking on the train. That's of course not allowed, but we did anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know we get to the border checkpoint at one a.m. And uh, because of the way that they inspect the trains and there was some weirdness going on, you know, you can't use the bathroom because it it flushes down onto the tracks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so some of us had some issues with, uh, you know, three hours of not using the bathroom after drinking a fair bit. And so that was also a bit of an interesting adventure. I also didn't speak any Russian or Mongolian. Mm -hmm. So it made life a bit difficult. But, you know, that's the kind of... Fun That's the kind of thing that happens when you... Yeah, know. we had a little bit of an adventure like with vodka as well. Um, we were in a carriage with another Australian and, and he'd bought a bottle of uh, incredibly cheap vodka, probably, you know, 50 cents or a dollar a bottle or something like that. And we were <laughs> drinking it. And after a few drinks, we thought that it would be fun to... Um, you, just to see how alcoholic it actually was by lighting it up. And then we spilt yeah. it all over the tablecloth and we couldn't actually <laughs> see... The flames, but we could see the tablecloth slowly going brown and easing out sideways, and we're just like, "Oh my god, we've just burnt down the train!" And uh, we managed to get it out, and then we had to, um, well, yeah, th- then we had to strategically place cups and uh, pot plants and things like that, <laughs> potted plants for our American friends, um, so that the guard, when he came through, wouldn't see that we we basically destroyed and left a hole in the middle of this tablecloth. Uh, so okay, so you know, you had the very uh, let's call this the very traditional Australian Finnish rite of passage, which is you know traveling around the world, backpacking, uh, cruising, and, and what is it about that that keeps you coming back to it? What do you love about travel? Very difficult question to put into words. Um, I mean, I like to I myself I like to kind of work hard and then take time off to travel hard and and you know. To, to see things. And I think, you know, meeting different people and seeing, you know, I have this thing of like my, my you know, I, I'll, I'll stay in one place and I'll work for a couple of months and I'm really invested in kind of going really deep into something. You know, lately it's been building couches and, you know, really 
you know, thinking about tech and thinking about, you know, teams and how to get people together and how to motivate them. And your kind of your world kind of shrinks down to like, you know, two or three big topics that you're kind of constantly in. Um, and so I like to travel because that, that really kind of rips you out and you see people and you, you have this kind of day-to-day carelessness, you know, not, not carelessness, but carefreeness mm-hmm. where you, um, you know, you're just kind of traveling, you're meeting people, you're seeing things, you're exploring stuff and you don't have normally kind of some overarching large pressure or goal that you have to do. It's rather you're just enjoying yourself and you're really meeting people and learning about people's experience and stories. Um, and that's really what I, you know, what I really love is, is seeing cool, cool things that people have done and meeting people and seeing, you know, meeting people from different, you know, walks of life in, you know, the more drastic, the difference, the more fun it tends to be to see why people do what they do and what they care about. Um, that, that kind of is, is, uh, that's why I enjoy traveling mm-hmm. seeing those. Um, yeah, you know, experiencing other people's lives in a way. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can. Uh, I, I really appreciate that aspect of travel myself. It's, it's, you know, it's always the people that make the experience more fun. The places are interesting, but it's the people that you see while you're there that that often really stick in your mind. Um, yeah. And so, when did you first start traveling and using, you know, couchsurfers? And perhaps explain for people that aren't familiar, you know, what is couch surfing? What is couch surfing? That is a very difficult question in itself. Um, so, I mean, couch surfing is a community of people who, the, the way I like to explain it to people who haven't really heard of it before is, you know, you can, you can travel in hostels, you can travel in hotels, but all you really see is other travelers and, and the kind of touristy side of things. But then if you ever have a friend in a city you visit, you know, you go to, I don't know, New York and you have a friend there and they let you sleep on their couch. And then, you know, on Friday night, they're like, hey, I'll show you this really cool underground bar. Let's go here. And, and then you go there and then you go and to a nice sightseeing spot and you see the city from a different angle. And then you meet some cool people and you meet their friends and you kind of, you really, that, that kind of experience for at least me is so much better and the kind of going to hostels and, and trying to figure out with other travelers what is the touristy thing to do here or where is the most popular way place to see the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's kind of that's what couch surfing is to me, except that you don't know the people beforehand. Not only do you, you know, go meet a friend, but you make a friend. So you find a friend online, you get in touch with them, and you know because they're part of this this community, which is a bit uh, you know, open-minded and people who um, are kind of into this this kind of uh, sharing and 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 um, exchange of hospitality. Those, those kinds of people, they they you know, you'll probably gel well with them and you read their profile and think about could I could I hang out with this person and go there and then you know they host you and they show you around and and they give you a place to stay and it's just. Um, it's it's overall a much better experience in in my opinion than traveling in in kind of commercial hotels and hostels. Mm-hmm. And then you know as a as a byproduct, you also you know you save a little bit of money, um, and you see uh, yeah you see a different side of the city. Yep. Anyway, so that's that's so that's, that's kind of what a, yeah. that's kind of couch surfing. Um, 
Now I lost my train of thought. Where uh, were we? That's okay. I was going to ask um, just to kind of connect the dots here a little bit. And for those people... How that did I start? Well, no, I was going to say for those people that aren't familiar, the couch, well, yeah, we'll come back to that in a sec. But for those people that aren't familiar, couch surfing is really the predecessor in a way to Airbnb. So everyone, I think, would be familiar with Airbnb. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that you know, everyone knows and appreciates that the initial idea for Airbnb for the guys that created it came from their experiences in couch surfing. They just created a, a basically a more, let's call it a more user-friendly site to basically do that, that focused more on the uh, experience of people sharing their houses and their rooms. Of course, Airbnb's changed a lot now from those original routes where it's almost a semi-hotel site in its own right in a lot yeah. of ways. But well, but it did start from think, that initial idea. I think one thing that happened is Airbnb kind of popped up and it was couch surfing, but you also got a bit of money. You're right. You know, it, yep. was, it was kind of commercial. And then, you know, a lot of people didn't care for their, you know, you, you go stay somewhere I and mean, I can give them five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever. Uh, but then it created kind of these incentives of people started you know, you paid money and you expected to get some kind of service, you know, and then you expected, you know, some people didn't like the host and then they had a bad experience at a host, you know, over time the host would hang out less with their, with their visitors. And so you ended up kind of the, the, the commercial evolution of the platform meant that it kind of converged towards hotel. Interesting. Um, yeah. In, you know, that, that's, that's the way I see it. And, and I think that that caused, that affected the couch surfing community because a lot of people didn't care about the ideological free thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they just enjoyed the experience. And I think Airbnb at the start was probably a really great place for also meeting people and having those kinds of experiences. But then as Airbnb, you know, evolved and, and you know, tried to get, you know, more money and revenue, they, they changed and there was kind of a, a slow evolution towards what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think Airbnb is, is, you know, fulfilling a certain commercial uh, space and doing an important, uh, you know, providing an important service. But these days it's very different from the couch surfing world. Yeah. And and so what was it then to go back to that question that attracted you to couch surfing? Like, like how well, did you make I... that first move and say, I'm going to go and stay with a stranger in New York for free? <laughs> so I, I signed up a while ago. I, I heard about it from somewhere because I was, you know, I want exchange. I was hanging out with a lot of travelers. Um, but then, you know, it was this big trip that I did after I graduated from my master's. Um, a friend of mine, actually, Itzy, who I ended up starting couches with, eventually he, he told me I should go and try this couch surfing thing, you know, properly and like, you know, try hangouts. You're going to meet all these cool people there. Um, you know, he also, also incited in me uh the hitchhiker so i do hitchhiking as well so that 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 was a big trip uh, in terms of experiencing new ways of traveling um, but yeah so I, I started off i think probably doing hangouts so hangout is on couchsurfing.com where you kind of indicate that you're now available and then it shows you people around and you can meet up with them and do something you can write kind of a subject of what you'd like to do um, so i did a lot of hangouts um and then I went to all these places. So after I took the train across Russia, I later went back to see other places. And so I was, you know, I was hitchhiking and traveling around in the kind of northwestern Russia. 
so near like Norway, Murmansk, in the Arctic Circle. And so, you know, those places, it's, they, they aren't, there are no hostels. They're small towns. Um, and so I, I ended up doing a lot of couch surfing um, there. And, and, you know, the, the, the people I met and how genuine they were is really what convinced me of the, of the real value of the, of the community. Um, well, you know, I, I think one experience that really made me think on my couch surfing travels was when I was, I was in this town of Yaroslavl, which is a couple of hundred kilometers north from Moscow. Um, and I was, I was staying with this couple and this, you know, the guy came to pick me up in the morning at like 10 a.m. from the train station and you know he came with this car and he'd taken the morning of work to come and pick me up and he came to pick me up and you know he he showed me around he did a little tour in the in the car of the city and then he went up and went to his place and then he was like you know he started making me a salad and I was just kind of standing there and I was thinking I remember in that moment thinking like I don't understand why this guy is like being so nice and hospitable to me. Like I would have made a salad for myself, mm -hmm. you know, and here he is making me a salad. And that that's kind of, you know, it's those kinds of experiences where, you know, these, these people were very hospitable to me and, and very kind and, and, you know, giving without expecting anything in return in a way that, and, and that's kind of, that's what I found really magical about, about the couchsurfing community. Um, and, you know, I started off as a surfer and then after that, now I've, I've, I've done a lot more hosting and I've really tried to kind of reciprocate that, you know, to other people and, mm -hmm. and, you know, pass that on in a way, because I think, I don't know, our modern society is so kind of centered around, you know, tit for that. Everything must be, you know, I do something for you, you have to reciprocate somehow. I do something, you give me money. You know, there's, there's always an exchange. Um, and sometimes, you know, you can just do things because, you know, out of your own kindness to make, you know, because you want to do something nice for other people and you can do it for strangers. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fun. It's enjoyable. I really like hosting people and showing them around and, and you know, doing things for them just because, I don't know, I like doing nice things for people. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think... I might yeah. be judging, but but um, I, I presume that this couple in the, wherever Mamanska you're talking about to the north of Moscow, I mean, I presume that they weren't active couch surfers themselves in the sense that they weren't out there travelling around Europe and couch surfing everywhere. It sounds like they were just hosting. But clearly, they were getting yeah, something from it. Yeah, I can't, I can't if remember if they... Oh, they did travel a fair bit and they were planning a big... Okay. I think they'd just gotten married and they were planning a big trip they wanted to go to germany um but it's it's you know meeting those kinds of people not only meeting nice people um and people in the community but i find in general the people who are in the couch of community tend to be really you know really outstanding really great people mm -hmm. you know I, I went there and i had certain preconceived notions of what russia might be and you know you take the train and you see a own part of it but then really going around and staying with all of these young enthusiastic people that really showed me a kind of different side of it and a different um you know the 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 you know some of the youth 
or younger people there um, and kind of how they live and what they believe in and what they are excited about and where the country is going. That was really, um, in addition to just being fun, it was also really interesting to see. Mm-hmm. And so how, really how many, of, um, like, if you had to guess, how many times would you say that you've you've either couch surfed or hosted someone, you know, five times, 10 times, 100 times, hard to I, say? Several dozen. Okay, um, quite a lot. I, I yeah. So I, uh, I've, I've done, you know, I was traveling a fair bit earlier and I couldn't host so much and now I'm hosting more and I can't travel that much. Uh, so, you know, it, it changes over time, but I've, I've done both a fair bit. Um, and you like that hosting experience as well? I mean, beyond just giving I back, do. you know, what, I do. what do you enjoy about that? Well, I think, I think part of it is when you're traveling and you, we talked a bit earlier about that carefree kind of mentality that you have and this kind of pure awe and excitement about seeing other things. And so, again, I, I see in, in a way there's this kind of, um, in my life, there's this kind of dichotomy of like, I'm either in the, in the work mode mm-hmm. and I'm a bit kind of tunnel visioned on, on doing cool stuff, or then I'm in kind of this carefree travel mode or, you know, without, uh, you know, constraints. And I find that when I host people, I get some of that carefreeness into my everyday life. And it's really exciting, you know, having these people who come around and they're really excited to see the city uh, and, you know, they, you know, they maybe they pick out some places where they're like, have you seen this? Or they ask me to go somewhere or they, you know, we plan together or I tell them I give them recommendations. And so, you know, there, there's kind of, you know, there's some energy and enthusiasm to the, explore the town and some of that kind of, there's just a certain vibe that people have, yeah. which is that kind of not really being bogged down by stress and, and uh, you know, pressure at the moment, but being, you know, free and excited to see things and hang out with people. And that's that's kind of, what I enjoy, uh, kind of that that kind of vibe that people bring, but it's also just the people. Again, I keep on going back to this. I think the community is just full of really great, interesting people. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be a little bit open-minded and a little bit adventurous to open up your house to strangers, or even to just stay with strangers on the internet yep. when you go to a new city. Um, so you know, you meet a lot of people who have interesting life stories, who have experienced a lot, who have a lot to kind of teach you. Um, and tell you about themselves. So I, I really enjoy, you know, the vibe and, and the and the kind of cool people that I meet. Um, those are those. Yep. That's the main reason I like doing it. And yeah, also, I, yeah, I, I enjoy. You know, I think I'm in a unique position to live in Manhattan uh, and have some spare space. And you know, I think to myself, like, if I were to visit Manhattan you know, the hostels here are really expensive. Mm-hmm. And I think being able to kind of provide that for people and allow people and make it more accessible uh, for people who might not have the means to otherwise come and stay um, so long in New York, I think that is also important and, and valuable. And I yeah. I enjoy doing that. How, how do you manage your sort of sense of personal space? You just turn couch surfing on and off when you need to, or you just back to back people, or do you sort of feel like, you know, Three days is enough, and then I'm ready to breathe again. <laughs> well, to be quite frank, uh, you need to be a little bit selective. So I, I think there's different kinds of people. You know, the, you know, the everybody is kind of open-minded and and has experiences, but there's different types of people who, you know, are in the community. And I think it's important that you decide 
who to host and you're a bit selective mm -hmm. so you look at what they write you think about would i get along with this person or not um, and you know after i started couches i i've been uh, hosting quite leniently so i've been hosting basically anybody who would request uh, in order to kind of build a platform and so i've actually had a couple of experiences where i didn't really gel well with the mm -hmm. with the guest and so i had some you know it is it is a bit distressing sometimes you know if you don't feel so comfortable at your own place because uh, you have someone there uh, but i think the solution to that is just you know be a bit selective about you who you host and then just like put up boundaries and stick to them so tell people look, I can host you for two nights to start off with. And then if things go well, I can host you longer mm -hmm. if you are able to make flexible plans. Otherwise, two nights is enough. Um, and then if somebody is, is, is disrespectful, if somebody's not, you know, not sticking to the rules and not being considerate, then, then you can just tell them to leave. I mean, you don't owe them, you know, some, you still have to have backup plans. And there's enough, there's enough hostels in New York uh, for people to do it. And, you know, so it, it's not, you know, you have to be a bit assertive and make sure that people to, don't try and take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you kind of manage that, you can, you can have a really good time. Yep. Um, and so you, yeah. you've mentioned, you've mentioned couches a couple of times. Let's, let's turn to that. So <laughs> just to, to kind of connect the dots back to the introduction, which was that I was talking about having met you through Couches. We've been talking specifically, mostly to date, about couch surfing, and I guess specifically couchsurfing.com. Um, tell me what, you know, what was that sort of moment for you that led you to decide to basically do what you've gone and done, which is decide to set up your own couch surfing site called Couches? Yeah, so as I, you know, as I said, I, I used to do, okay, so I want to make a bit of a please delineation here. Um, so at Couches, we refer to couch surfing, the generic verb, and the couch surfing community. Um, and those, you know, they couch surfing, uh, I, I like to say that couch surfing as a concept is somehow intrinsic to people. Any sufficiently advanced civilization will reinvent the concept of couch surfing. <laughs> You know, so, you know, matchmaking people to, to stay with each other. Um, matchmaking might not be the right word. Um, you know. Connecting. Please. Connecting people to stay with each other um, over, over a platform. That's, that's pretty generic. And everybody likes to travel and meet new people. But anyway, so I, you know, I, I, I got into couchsurfing through couchsurfing.com and I had these amazing experiences. And, and ever since I did that, I felt like I couldn't travel any other way. I just going to hostels was just not fulfilling anymore compared to staying with a local. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also kind of bad at planning. So I then to just like <laughs> turn off to places and then just, you know, so it's, it's good to have kind of a local that I can annoy a bit and be like, Hey, what should I do? Like, what's good to see here? And, and so on, uh, instead of going to a hostel and, and asking the proliferation of Germans there what, uh, what <laughs> I should do. <laughs> okay, we have to explore this a little bit more, the proliferation of Germans. We're going to come back to this. I'll let you finish, but we're coming back to the proliferation <laughs> of Germans. I mean, that's just, have you ever been to a hostel? Every hostel is full of Germans. They all take a gap year after, I think, high school or something, and then they, you know, they, they explore 
the world and themselves. And it's just, there's a lot of them. My experience has been that they're all full of Australians. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, anyway, so going back, so we, um, you know, I, I had these experiences of couch surfing and I was really enthusiastic about it. Um, so when the pandemic happened, couch surfing, which is a for-profit entity, they started having issues with revenue. So because, you know, as soon as the pandemic started, the travel dropped to zero basically overnight. Um, and so, you know, them being a for-profit entity, having paid staff, paid operations and so on, um, they needed to keep up revenue. And so what they did is they put up a paywall. Uh, you know, that was a couple of weeks into the pandemic. And so coincidentally, Itzy and I, Itzy being a good friend of mine from my master's program, we were sitting, you know, in lockdown in Australia. We'd been chatting for a couple of weeks about, you know, what to do. We were both kind of bored. I had a full-time job. It was also working. And we're just kind of trying to come up with some kind of pandemic hobby. We, we both kind of wanted to do something, maybe startup-y, something, something cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a tech background. He had a background with some community stuff. And so, you know, we're thinking about all kinds of things. We had a few ideas. Um, and then one day he messaged me going, hey, Apelli, did you know this? Couchsurfing.com put up a paywall. And my first response included an expletive expletive <laughs> expletive, expletive? Yep. expletive. Uh, and i um roughly with the message i can't believe it why would they do that that's so stupid mm-hmm. it's going to kill the community and so it took us a grand total of about 15 minutes a couple of messages back and forth to be you know to decide that that was that was the thing that we we're going to do um and so couchsurfing.com basically laid out the perfect opportunity for us. And, and the reasoning for it is that, you know, not only did they now put up the paywall and the way that the paywall was executed was, was quite poor. People were frustrated. Um, they just one day put up a paywall and then, you know, people got a bit outraged. And then, you know, a couple of days later, they put up some blog posts and then they walked back a little bit and they made some excuses about, you know, whatever. Uh, and so, you know, people were quite frustrated and we saw that there was a lot of like energy and interest in doing something else and unhappiness with couchsurfing. Uh, but the kind of core reason was that, you know, couchsurfing is an activity that takes like a fair bit of, um, what would you call it? A fair bit of guts to get into couchsurfing, yep. you know, to, to, you know, to go to a new city, meet a stranger on the internet, especially for, for the first time, can be quite, quite scary. And, you know, to, to add a hurdle to that, the need to take out a credit card, um, you know, I, I think just really adds too much friction, really, because I think most people don't stumble into couch surfing through kind of a, uh, a planned way. They, rather, they're kind of, they're traveling and then, you know, they're going to a city or on your way to Prague and you look up all the hostels and all the cheap ones are booked. Mm-hmm. And your friend some time ago told you about this couch surfing thing and you just saw it somewhere and you're like, well, maybe I'll just, I'll try that out. I'll send somebody a request. And so you send like, you know, half-assed request to someone, you know, you don't really know how to do it. And then they say now the really nice message and they're really welcoming and they're like, yeah, come here. I'll tell you what to do. Just text me and I'll kind of organize. And, and that's kind of how I think the majority of casual users get into it, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody starts off casual. So I think that's, 
you know, and, and for the requirement to really commit to paying any amount of money, regardless of how small, you know, I think I think is going to kill the influx of new users, which is which is paramount for the community. Can I suggest, you know, 15 minutes wasn't perhaps thinking long and hard enough about it. Um, you know, if I know anything about startups, it's most people who start startups start them because they don't know how difficult the problem is, right? And they probably <laughs> didn't, did you, I'm, I'm guessing, well, I know from talking with you, you didn't realise perhaps the challenge of, of what's involved well, in networking a community of people that covers yeah. the entire yeah. world, right? Like you're trying to build a site here that services... Yeah. You know, it's just not just couch surfing in Australia. Yeah. This is couches is a global organization that you decided yeah. to start in yeah. the middle of a pandemic. I, I would say that the, the reason why we're able to come into it in 15 minutes is because it just felt right. So I think a lot of people were frustrated with couchsurfing.com. The platform was kind of buggy. It had issues. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's a whole lot of problems that we try, then tried to think about. But, you know, that that kind of is how we came up with this with this idea and you know we decided to do it and then of course there's been a long journey of of making it happen and it's of course not been you know we were way overly optimistic about how easy the tech would be and how fast we could get an mvp up i remember saying at some point like a oh, worst case scenario i'll just hack something together in a couple of months and <laughs> we'll have you know and and you know it's it's been almost two years now and you know our platform is is uh, quite usable now. There, yeah. There's some UI UX issues, but you know it's taken a lot longer than a couple of months. Um, but you know, so what we actually did is we we kind of decided let's do it in in a while. And our our first thing is we just made a little form that we posted on Reddit just to kind of gauge interest to see if anybody would be you know would find this idea appealing or if we could get any help from somewhere and what, what kind of people would be interested. And we didn't even have a name back then, mm -hmm. brainstorming names. Um, and we put it up on, on Reddit and we got, we got quite a few responses to an un, untitled form seeking expressions of interest for a new platform. And at the time, there were a lot of other platforms that came around and you know, there were a few upstarts that tried to do something. I think all of them now died. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're the, we're the only kind of COVID baby that survived. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, so what we did is we, we, we put out this form and then we started talking to people. So we talked, we spent like four weeks, four or five weeks, just having a lot of Zoom chats and, and you know, scheduling, talking with people all across the community, trying to kind of understand what the pain points were were and, and you know trying to understand what should we do in this platform and the premise was fairly straightforward it was couch surfing was great as a community and the community stuck to it because of network effects but now that the paywall is up now that you know couch surfing hasn't really been maintaining their site properly let's try and do mm -hmm. something together as a community and as a non-profit and do it sustainable and so we had all these chats and we we kind of gathered together some ideas and some uh, you know, and, and we wrote up this landing site and we put up this little sign up button. It said sign up and you'd put in your name and your email and you'd click continue and that would send the data to us. So we had your name and email and then it would be the second form. And our strategy was we would, we would kind of add this, this, these fields that kind of, you know, got people to write about how they felt about the paywall and how much they loved the platform. 
uh, or the, the community. And so we we put those up and then after that, we would ask them if they want to help out. And we found out that having people first open up and think about how awesome it is and how much they care about it and how much of a pity the recent turn of events was, and then asking them whether they want to help out, that was really good for getting people to then actually say yes or maybe. And mm -hmm. so we had, you know, we put a lot of effort into recruiting and we spent maybe the first, the first four or five months, we had no product at all. We were kind of hacking together this thing. Uh, we wrote kind of an alpha. We made a backend and, and a web frontend. Um, then we put out an alpha uh, in August of 2020, I okay. think is our first, yeah. first time. So we started, you know, that was up for a while. And then we decided to rewrite the whole frontend and React instead of you and whatever. And then we put out the beta in, I think, around March of 2021. And so it's been around for almost a year now. We've got almost 10,000 users now. It'll be any week now that we've reached 10,000. Um, and the, the, the reaction from the community has been phenomenal. Everybody's super excited. Like it's, it's not a hard sell. Everybody kind of agrees on it. It's this, this thing, this community that, you know, gathered on couchsurfing.com should not be, um, you know, should not be constrained by what this for-profit platform wants to do and how they want to treat them. There, it should should exist in itself and and be self-governing and kind of community-led and so on. Um, and that's kind of our message and that's kind of our idea, and everybody loves it. And so, from a 15-minute conversation during the middle of COVID, uh, you've now ended up running, I guess, or being certainly very instrumental. Perhaps not not running. I know you have a lot of people helping you out, but you're certainly very instrumental in an organisation that has grown and is how many people now working on couches? Yes, we have a lot of people uh, and we've had a kind of, one thing that we're really pushing for at the moment is, is the past couple of months we've been trying to, um, so Itzy and I started this off and we're kind of this, this power duo pushing everything forwards. And then, you know, the past couple of months we've, we've noticed that that's kind of, starting to reach its limits. And so what we're trying to do now is we're trying to move the platform into a kind of, you know, more sustainable organization. So as part of this kind of restructuring, uh, we're also doing a, a kind of revamp of our volunteer management system and process. And so in the past, we didn't really have so much. So we've had a lot of people go through. So by now we've had over 200 volunteers uh, go through the organization and contribute in some way or form. Um, but we don't have, uh, you know, it's a bit hard to define who is a volunteer and who is a contributor and who is not. So for instance, on GitHub, we have 70 or so, 70 or 80 people who have contributed to our code. Um, you know, we have, um, but currently active volunteers, I'd say we have, very large range, somewhere between 30 and 50. Wow, yeah. Uh, so kind of core contributors who are coming back every week, doing meaningful work across, you know, so we have a variety of different teams and areas that we're working on. Uh, and we've always believed in kind of this, you know, there have been other competitors to couchsurfing, other nonprofit competitors, but they've either mm -hmm. kind of neglected the tech side. So they've just been ideological community projects and then they have had kind of a lagging tech side or then they've been uh, very technical and kind of not really seeing the necessity of a whole uh, 
you know, team, you know, focused around building the community. And so what we really believe in is we're trying to marry these two together. So trying to have a strong product team while at the same time having a strong group of people working on enhancing the community and, and reaching out to people and making ourselves known and so on. Um, and I think that's kind of, that's, that's, the, that's the combination that's needs for success in this type of project. Yeah. And so in, in a way, in fact, actually like thinking about your, your journey and, and where you've come from, you, it's a little bit like the, uh, the journey of someone who's, who's out there mining gold and now you're selling shovels, right? Like that's a, it's a very different experience of couch surfing being on the infrastructure end of it of providing that <laughs> that sort of facility um you know what is it that you see now um not asking you to disclose anything that's you know breaches gdpr or anything but like as someone sort of sitting on the back end and you're seeing these connections you're seeing people from around the world meet up and sort of like more holistic kind of view on it what do you see happening what do you think's kind of interesting out of that that you weren't aware of before so i think i think one really interesting thing that i've really come to appreciate um, is just the the kind of huge amount of energy and time that a lot of people are putting into the community and that's kind of required for it to stay healthy and mm-hmm. and self-sustaining. So I think, you know, back in my early days before couches, you know, I used to just, you know, I used to host, sorry, I used to surf a lot. Uh, then I'd go to this kind of community events. So one, one thing we find is that there's this emergent community on couch surfing, people, you know, people travel in this interesting way and then they want to tell those stories and meet other people who are like that. And so they'll, they'll do community events. So I used to kind of join those. Um, and, you know, be- before I kind of went to the building the infrastructure for this side, I used to always just kind of see these things and be like, oh, that's really cool. And this community is really vibrant. This is really cool. And, and people must love this idea. But now, you know, obviously from the other side, I see the amount of effort that people are putting into it um, and the kind of um, commitment people are putting into hosting a weekly event in Madison or, you know, running a community in Tokyo or like, you know, these kinds of things. And that, that I think has been really fascinating and talking to people and hearing their experiences um, and, and kind of hearing also people's motivations for why they're doing it. And, and, you know, any any project that's that requires this amount of effort to be regularly involved with. Um, let me word that another way. So I think a big part of it is that for somebody to be, you know, organizing something week after week, sometimes for years at a time, um, or joining this kind of project as a serious volunteer. Those people are interesting people by construction. Right. Like you don't end up with people who don't have stories like that, you know, in, into, into positions like that. So everybody I meet and talk to who's like very involved in that community is very, um, you know, very experienced, very interesting. And, and even more than just the couch surfing community, you know, in and of itself is people, um, you know, have all kinds of things like our, our current our current front end lead actually used to play viola at the London and uh, at, at the top music school in London, and is now moving to Australia, where he's from, to uh, to continue his musical career. But he just really loves front end coding, 
and writing software. And that's his hobby. And, you know, he's just a really cool, interesting guy. Um, and, and, you know, I love all of our interactions together. It's, it's you know, people like this who, um, you know, people who do side projects and people who like pour their time and energy into these kinds of things um, are very interesting. It's a really fun and exciting uh, space to be. And I think, I think one big thing is I've been, I've been part of like commercial organizations and people come there because they get a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the commercial organization might be, might be falling off a cliff, driving straight off a cliff and people will still turn up mm-hmm. and the vibe just gets a bit grummy. But the thing with couches is everybody is full of excitement and there's this kind of, there's this, there's this, uh, you know, this energy, everybody's looking forward to couches growing and everybody believes in this. And we all think this is going to go to, uh, um, you know, this is going to grow at an insane pace. And like, you know, the, the kind of enthusiasm and, and, and um, excitement is, is, is um, a really big uh, motivator for me at least. And so, you know, if someone's listening to this and they haven't tried couches before, um, they haven't tried couch surfing before, and and maybe you know they consider themselves a little bit, uh, maybe they consider themselves too mature to try couch surfing. I'd say the average age of people <laughs> listening to my podcast is definitely over thirty. Uh, you know, what would what would you sort of say to encourage people? Do you think that this is something that they should give it a go? Where do they start? What you know, why why should they do it? I mean, I think you've explained a lot of that, but definitely sort of where do they start? How do you take your first steps? So one part of this is that we're trying to lower the barrier to entry. And we're trying to make it so that people don't have to take this huge step of, of going to a stranger's place. So a big part of it is we have events, we have uh, communities. And so, you know, if, if you want to take a first step towards joining the community, trying it out, trying to meet some of these great people, you can, you know, you can sign up for the platform and you can go and look at the events. You can try and join a community, um, you know, a community event, meet some people without any kind of pressure. Um, we have, you know, we have every week, we have two online events. We just have key people who come around and chat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's, that's an important part of, Trying to make it less scary um, and more approachable is, is having those kind of low pressure interactions at the start with the community and seeing that everybody's actually really welcoming and friendly. And uh, you know, there's um, you're most certainly going to have a good time. Yeah, I know we uh, hosted someone on couches last year on the boat, and um, it was an excellent experience. We were a little unsure about it at first, but then we, you know, we just took that step of you know, communicating with them on the site. And when they came out, a guy's name was Shong. Shong's probably listening to this podcast now. We had a wonderful time with Shong. It was fantastic. Uh, you know, turned out to be, you know, a, apart from yourself, obviously, one of the most interesting people I've, I've met. Um, another PhD student, uh, this one, this time he was studying, um, he's up in Norway, Tromsko, like way up in the north in the Arctic Circle, having come from Burma. And just a fascinating story. In fact, I'm going to get Shong on the podcast as well, for sure, to talk to Shong because he has the most amazing kind of life travel story as well to share with everyone, which I think is fantastic. But uh, yeah, Couches was a really good part of that. We've had a really great experience through not only meeting Shong, but then also meeting yourself and working with you has been a lot of fun. So I think it's definitely worth giving it a go. You know, I'm really glad to hear that. Um, you know, I get a lot of this kind of feedback of, of people using it. it's really great to hear 
Uh, and thanks for being a part of the Couches community. And I encourage all listeners to also join. Sign up, Couches at all. <laughs> and I think that's, oh, I think that's an excellent place to kind of uh, wrap it up. Um, I really appreciate your time, Apelli. It's been fascinating listening to your sort of journey and I think that unconventional travel aspect of you know focusing you know on that sort of couch surfing type community and what it means to you um i'm sure couches well, i know for for sure couches is going to be a great success i you know can see that it's growing and i can see people are getting more passionate about it all the time and uh, thanks again for your time and thanks for chatting with me thanks tim and thanks for having me Ciao. thanks for listening to this episode of footloose Feedback is always welcome at Timbull on Twitter. That's T-I-M-B-U-L-L. Catch you next time.